0: And Everybody gets it back again Don't take no mess At the Rose Garden Raise us their own fire They're what we desire The men in black Can't handle it Other teams Can't it How they win that game today There's just one thing
1: Cody, we did probably, what, 200 episodes of Locked on Bulls together that year and a half or so that we did them. I'm pretty sure, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that this is the first time we've actually been on a podcast together since then.
0: Oh, I gotta think, Hyken. I gotta (laughs) think. Um. I can't think anything off the top of my head, so you might be right. I feel like there was maybe one other time. We might
1: have done one with Tony when he was still on yeah, the floor, When he yeah. was doing... Shout out to No Zones.
0: Yeah, RIP No Zones. It's gone through a lot of name changes over the years, I think.
1: Yeah, shout out to Tony doing big things now at NBC Sports Chicago. The Ringer, Jason Goff. All he's, of that.
0: He's had a great come up. That's a man who works hard mm-hmm. and uh, deserves it. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's good to be back as you said, I think uh, among the OGs here I guess for for locked on Bulls um, years ago. we, we, we spit out some fire takes back then it was clearly it was clearly the formative days of podcasting, right Like now as you just presented to me, all the podcasts are on video. Oh, audio yeah. is way better. got a professional producer that makes it sound great. And back then it was just click record, and who knew where we were? Sometimes it was a car, sometimes it was the press room, sometimes it was your apartment. Never knew.
1: I don't think we even had uh, theme music. I think we just like we would hit record and just go welcome into another episode of Locked On Bulls and go through the whole spiel. And like, I mean, I I think I would say most of them we did through like. After the bo- after games, we would go back into like the back room where the photographers uh would like ha- would set up at the United center, like in the media room and then uh otherwise for road games or for like off day ones, like you would just like come over to my apartment and we would record like we would yeah. watch the game on TV and then record. but yeah, that was that was a very I, I'm pretty sure actually, you know what I just I saw Locke a couple months ago whenever the last time the jazz were here, yeah, and he told me that. we were the first people when he was expanding the network when he was because he used to do lock just locked on jazz just as his own podcast when he was expanding it into other markets uh we were the first ones that signed on and the way i remember it is he called you yep you wanted to do it but you didn't want to do it by yourself so you called me and asked if i wanted to do it with you and then once i said yes you were in
0: i yeah that's pretty much 100 percent correct i uh uh, I enjoy talking bulls. I enjoy talking the NBA. Happy to talk anything. I was not at the time prepared to ever host anything solo, which I'm probably still not good enough at now. So um, I
1: still hate but- doing it. Like I've done it a handful of times here when like I needed to get an episode out and I didn't have a guest or I couldn't get someone. I have so much respect for the people who like here in Portland, Mike Richmond does uh locked on blazers and he does it solo pretty much five days a week. And I have so much respect for people who are able to do that or people who host solo radio. That is not
0: me. You have to all. be incredibly compelling. And I, I think we're compelling when we, uh, when we shoot back and forth, but yeah. I'll, uh, I'll stay in my lane and know that uh, usually takes a guess for me um, when we're talking hoops. <laughs> Absolutely. So the bulls might be
1: the only team in the nba that's in a more depressing spot than the blazers are
0: right now have you not heard about the pat bev effect
1: what are they now
0: seven and four since i believe eight and four as we speak on tuesday evening Uh um since the patrick beverly edition at the all-star break and at least as of before their win against the 76ers and After the Bulls' big double overtime win on Monday night against 76ers, I imagine they're still probably top five in the NBA in net rating since he joined the team. So uh, they were extremely depressing, as you noted, until Pat Bev showed up. And now they're seeing a little bit of a little ray of sunshine, I guess you could say. But I think we all know how it's probably still going to end.
1: Yeah, the Ray of Sunshine is now they're solidly in the play in, not fighting to get in the play in or fighting to stay in the play in. I think it's pretty it's pretty clear they're going to be one of the top 10 teams whether they get through the play in and get into the top 8, that's like a different thing. Absolutely. Yeah, uh so so the the Pat Bev thing he's so I mean, I think just because I mean, and obviously in Portland there's, you know, a big history between him and Dame and like they've gone back and forth on Instagram and Dame has like tweeted about how he's a fraud and stuff but it really does seem like he's changed you know culturally it's it it, it seems like he's kind of done what they wanted tristan thompson to do when they brought him in as a buyout guy last year but it, it seems like this has actually worked
0: i think the the patrick beverly effect is it's it's a dose of medicine that you probably want in small doses and it depends really what, what ailment you have too, right? Like I understand why he's a journeyman in the NBA because his style, I'm sure on teams that he's been around for a while can wear him down kind of, or you saw when he was with the Clippers kind of transition from the gritty Clippers team to the more starred um, star Clippers team um, with, with Kawhi and, and, paul george and everything and it's like we don't need that type of guy as much anymore but the bulls are in the unique place where this is a team that as much as we talk about x's and o's a huge part of the game your talent's a huge part of the game it's playing style and the bulls are in like the 80s or 90s with their playing style because they don't shoot many threes those are all the main reasons you win and lose but there's an emotional component of whether you bring it every night and fire them up and they they did get lackadaisical a lot this year um and you can argue about how much of it was talent and how much of it was was playing with the fire and the passion which people love to talk about in Chicago because it's an easy talking point right well he he just helped solve that a little bit more and I think really his effect has been he's had a couple hot shooting stretches on offense but it's defense night tonight where he's going to do the most and He's been really good, like, recovering um, defensively. Like, he just – he can close off a gap when he's on help defender and recover back to his guy or to a spot in the rotation. I think that's the biggest effect he's had on them, just X's and O's-wise.
1: I was watching a little bit of the end of the Sixers game last night, and there was this one play. It was in either the fourth quarter or one of the two overtimes because that was the part of it that I saw. Yeah, But – he had he was like he had, he was like standing in front of James Harden and basically got Harden to like fall on top of him and Bev ended up getting called for a foul but it was just like you could tell Harden was just like so annoyed by it
0: him. was that 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 play i love that play right yeah patrick beverly did not get a foul call on that play because he was actually in a clearly illegal guarding position <laughs> he literally got the foul call cuz the refs are like bro, you are way too over the top. Now they're just trying to inbound this ball. And cause he initially, it was a reputation had, call. Yeah. He had position on Harden and if Beverly hadn't fallen down and then like half pulled Harden down too, they would have let it go. But like he initially had good position. Then he just made a huge scene, which is kind of what he does, which I mean, that play made me laugh a lot. Cause it could have burned them, you know, like the free throw and then another bucket and all of a sudden, instead of a game, you should be tied in. You're down one or something, you know? that could have been really bad for him um potentially but I just I just loved uh I love that play so much it it really summed up what he's been in Chicago
1: I mean it was such a shot in the arm though because like throughout the rest of the season it's like okay I mean they like on paper they have the and you saw like they made the playoffs last year for the first time since since I was on the beat since the three alphas year, but on paper, they've got guys. Like, they've got Vucevic, who they traded all that stuff for. He's having a good year. They've got Levine. They've got DeRozan. Like, they've got dudes. But it just wasn't – something just wasn't working. And it may not – may still not be working. And ultimately, they're probably – their ceiling is a first-round exit. But
0: – I think an important part of this is – and this can probably be traced back to cr- some criticism of the front office uh-huh. for not filling the Lonzo void earlier – Billy Donovan likes Iudisumu quite a bit, but he overplayed him cuz he didn't have a lot of other good options and because you can't really play Alex Caruso 34 minutes for 82 games a year obviously because he's just he's going to get banged up this the way he plays and he's not a traditional point guard either and like Pat Bev's not your traditional point guard of the NBA anymore because he's not going off pick and roll screens all the time right. like these explosive guys But he is a point guard on the defensive end, and he's a point guard in how he organizes a team within their set still. Um, So that's important. And to me, it's like this is all – like when Lonzo was healthy last year, the Bulls were really good before mid-January, right? They were absolutely electric to watch play. They're not going to be electric with Patrick Beverly. But if you can recapture some of that success, obviously not the same style, just by having what, a – He's an average NBA point guard, maybe. And he's certainly the type of guy they need, like average in the things he is, the context of the player he is, right? right. He's aging. He's not going to score 20 points a game, but he, he can do, he can be reliable from night to night. I ought assume not as reliable. And it's like, oh, that's all you guys needed to do. Well, you know, last July, instead of signing Goran Dragic on like the fourth day of free agency to a minimum level contract after it fell you know, after it fell through the cracks in Dallas of whatever negotiations he had with the Mavericks and he wanted a roll the bulls signed him. And Dragic was good at throwing lobs to Andre Drummond for like three weeks and made some threes to start. And then it went downhill. It's like you needed to invest a little bit more in that position. Even if it was like a five or $6 million player, like maybe the bulls could be, you know, five games over 500 right now, instead of fighting for the 10 seed in the East.
1: Where do you land on the new front office? Because Obviously, the front office regime that was there when you and I were on the beat together was very, very, very unpopular with a lot it's... of people in in the city and in the fan base. It's and I well... feel like the current front office got a couple of years of basically just goodwill of just not yep. being the old regime. And now it's starting to feel like okay, they made all those big swings. You know, they made the big Vucevic trade, which hasn't really panned out because they gave up a ton of picks. And, like, Wendell Carter has looked really good yep. in Orlando. And then, like, they maybe, you know, they gave up on Lowry Markkanen maybe too early and he is doing what he's doing in Utah now, which I, I would argue he wasn't going to do that in Chicago anyway, but that's a whole other thing. But, like, where where do people generally land on, on the current front office now? Are they kind of over it again, or is it still... Like, are the people still saying, you know, let's wait it out. Let's see, you know, let's see how it goes.
0: There's just been growing discontent over the last couple months. And um, it was the way they were playing. It was the fact that they didn't have any depth for for Lonzo being out and then realizing Lonzo's health reality became more clear just, you know, in these past two months. Like, I mean, you go back to the end of December, January 1st, and you'd ask Bulls front office people to sign the scenes. You're like, yeah, like, Lonzo's not coming back this year. And they'd be like, well. I mean, he's still working at it. Like, there was a little bit of hope, right? And it's right. Like, it's like they were they were not publicly or privately behind the scenes saying anything. Um, but they kind of knew
1: what, everybody knew what was happening. They up. knew,
0: they weren't letting on yet, but, like, I don't think they wanted to come with grips of the kind of the fallout that comes with that when um, clearly the Pelicans knew something at the time that they let him walk for very little in the sign and trade and didn't sign him to the, the big contracts. So, um... I think when you talk about the front office, it's interesting to me because you just mentioned the old front office with John Paxton and Garth Foreman. Like this, this front office is just so different. Right. Like the old one was certainly conservative by NBA t- terms, you know, um, did not go out and make huge trades um, other than really, I guess, that the Jimmy Butler trade. But you have to trade him when you hit a rebuilding button. But right. nothing like the acquisitions of Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic early on in this regime's tenure. Um, the other front office was happy to talk to you behind the scenes all the time and yell at you. This front office just ignores oh, the media. Like, they, they just ignore the media. So, like, they're not sitting there, like, working back channels to criticize what you've said. So, I don't know how concerned this front office really is about the criticism. But um, we'll have to see how that plays out because it, the Vooch trade – isn't working whatsoever at all. And I, I will be interested to see how he plays out with his free agency coming up. Like, are they so attached to him for optics? How do they sell it? If they bring him back, you can't really let him walk for nothing when you didn't trade him at the deadline, that would be bad business. So this front office to me, I, I think we need to judge him Like Lonzo Bull was already tied to the bulls before the bulls acquired him. Like the, the Gar Pax regime wanted him if they yeah. could have got him early. I remember you, know? you
1: and I were doing, uh, when we do, when when you know, when we were still doing locked on bulls, this was the up leading up into the twenty seventeen draft, uh, and there were all the rumors of because I think their pick, their their actual pick that they had was like the fifteenth pick. It was like one of the last picks in the in the non lottery. Yep. Yep. So it was like a mid first round. And there were all the rumors about like, are they gonna trade Jimmy Butler? Are they gonna rebuild? Are they gonna try to go after a high lottery pick? And I vividly remember you, you know, we did these, you know, I, I will confess, I don't watch a ton of college basketball. You probably watch more than I do, but uh you would come on these podcasts when we were doing like these, who should they look at in the draft uh, episodes leading up to the draft? And you were like Lonzo ball. That's the guy. That's oh, who I want.
0: I love Lonzo ball. Like I I loved him in college. I mean, you could see how, how well he passes and connects people, but like, that's a separate issue. The, the point I did want to make about this front office. So like it's, you and I could be like Lonzo's a good basketball player, right? After he produced for the Pelicans, like we can go out and give up all this draft capital to acquire um, players like that. What we can't do as well as front offices should be able to do is scout players. And if you want to look at who the Bulls have drafted right now and the positions they've drafted them, um, that's what concerns me. Do they have truly have an eye for talent that's, any better than a replacement level front office right now. Four draft picks in Chicago. Um, They've been Patrick Williams at number four overall in his slot, which he could still be a dependable rotation player in the NBA, but he's not the fourth best player prospect in that draft. There were better options. Was not a good draft. It was a pretty bad one in 2020 after the top couple, but Tyrese Halliburton was still out there on the board. Um, Marco Simonovic, Simonovic, who they don't even invite to the United Center a lot of nights to like dress despite being on the 15 man roster. Like they literally have him in the G League playing. Like just never, ever going to crack and get a minute whatsoever for this franchise. So, second round picks, very, very minor, but still a, a misevaluation of that if he can't even get in like a rotation or a chance for 90 seconds when someone's hurt, basically. IO, great pick in the second round, even though we've seen some limitations this year. And then you trace it back more recently, like Dale and Terry in a year the Bulls were been pretty inconsistent and despondent at times, like hasn't been in Billy Donovan's rotation very often because he's just such a raw prospect. So right now, like they're they're staring at one for four on their draft picks. So that's what concerns me about this front office um, at this point in time, I think.